You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. God, you came down in judgment and grace to save people from every tribe and nation. So open our eyes that we might see the glories of your gospel and join your mission in the world. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, you don't have to be a Christian to realise that Christmas has something to do with the birth of Jesus. I don't know if you realise it or not. You know, you might have seen the nativity scenes, uh, sung the Christmas carols, and if you have, it's kind of hard not to notice his name. In one sense, Christmas is one big worldwide birthday party all for Jesus. Now, when you stop to think about it, who really gets to celebrate a birthday that big? If you're organising your birthday, I know young James was going to have his 21st this year, and you want to invite all your friends, I wonder how many people would turn up. If everyone on your Facebook uh, profile came, and let's face it, most of them aren't your real friends anyway, uh, you might have a few hundred people turn up. But when it comes to Jesus' birthday, tens of millions, whole cities, entire nations, all of them come to the party. Now, if you're the jealous type, I go, why? Why does Jesus get a party that big? I mean, how can one ordinary man, born in Bethlehem in the first century, be that important? that his birthday literally divides human history. Have you realized that? B.C., before Christ. A.D., Anno Domini, meaning the year of our Lord. Christian or not, you can't deny it, right? There is something about Jesus that makes him so historically compelling. There is something about this man that makes him literally the center of human history. And since his birth, countless tribes and nations and peoples have believed that Jesus, no, he is no ordinary man. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, well, he is none other than God himself. He is God made man. If you want to know why Jesus gets the biggest birthday party in human history, that's why. Each Christmas, we're not just celebrating the day that a man was born. No, we're celebrating the day that God came down. You see, when you stop and think about it, it's actually absolutely remarkable that the God who created this world would come into that very world. But why? Why did God come? What is the reason for which God came down? Well, friends, I want to take you back to a much earlier time. When God came down, we just read it before, it is a time long before Jesus was born. And as we see the reason why God came down in Genesis, we can see the reason for which he came down in Jesus. Babylon will tell us something about Bethlehem. Why did God come down? Firstly, God came to a world that was his. God came to a world that was his. You know, one thing I love seeing uh, at Christmas is how different cultures around the world celebrate Christmas. I don't know this for a fact, but apparently uh, in Norway, people hide their brooms and their cleaning equipment 
and men fire guns into the night sky on Christmas Eve. It's pretty cool. I kind of want to go now. In India, due to the lack of Christmas pine trees, people use banana trees or mango trees as substitutes. And it's reported, I don't know if this is true, but it's reported that one time in a Japanese department store, they decided to crucify publicly a Santa because they kind of got their holidays mixed up. I love seeing how different cultures celebrate Christmas because it's a beautiful picture of unity in diversity. Just think about it, right? Different cultures in different places, all united by the birth of the one Saviour God. You know, that's actually the picture of the world that we find in Genesis 10. People from every tribe united under God. This is the world as it was meant to be. You see, after the Great Reset, after the Great Flood of Genesis 6-9, to this, right here in Genesis 10, it is creation restored. It's a new world with a new humanity led by Noah as a new and second Adam. And just like the first Adam, God calls Noah. What does he call him to do? Be fruitful. Multiply, spread out over the earth and multiply over it. God is calling mankind to fill this world with his life and his love. To represent God by expanding his kingdom in this world over every square inch of this earth. He wants humanity to keep on moving, keep moving out, keep filling the earth, keep discovering new places and new lands. Build cities, create culture, develop languages, and all the while remain united under God. You see, God actually wants humanity to flourish in our world. That's the picture of Genesis 10. A new world flourishing after the flood. I want you to notice just how beautiful the diversity is of tribes and languages. You may have lost it in the Bible reading, but in verses 5, 20, and 31, the families of Shem, Ham, and Japheth all spread out, what does it say? According to their clans, in their nations, each with its own language. Do you realize over the last few weeks, unlike all those other genealogies which mention individual names, no, this list, it mentions tribes and nations, entire people groups, it's no mistake that this chapter mentions 70 different tribes. And in the Bible, 70 is that number that represents wholeness and completion. It's as if these 70 tribes, they represent our entire world, the entire human race. It's interesting, so many workplaces these days value cultural diversity. Well, you can't get much more diverse than this. You see, God's vision is not just for one people, but for people from absolutely every tribe. Notice the diversity spreads even further. It's not just how far humanity has spread, it's also the lands and places that they've discovered. In verse 4, Javan's sons spread out to the coasts and the islands. In verses 10 to 12, Nimrod's kingdom stretches from Babylon to Syria. And in verse 30, Joktan's settlements extend from Mashar to Safar, the eastern hill country. Friends, can you see what's going on here? Humanity isn't just diverse in its peoples. It's diverse in its places. It reaches as far as Greece in the west, 
Iran in the east, Ethiopia in the south, and Armenia in the north. At the time of Genesis, that was the entire known world. You see, this world is beautiful in its diversity, and it is united in the mission of God to see humanity flourish and spread throughout the earth. Humanity, you and I, we're doing exactly what God created us to do. We're multiplying. We're filling the earth. We're ruling this world with the life and love of God. You see, friends, our world as it's meant to be is every tribe united under God. It is every tribe worshipping God as our King. This world and every tribe and language in it They belong to the God of the Bible. And that includes you and that includes me. Doesn't matter what tribe you're from. Doesn't matter what culture you're from. It doesn't matter what country you're born in or what city you call home. No, all of us are part of God's big plan. And that means you. You know, there's actually something absolutely shocking about this list. See, we don't get it, right? We hear all these Middle Eastern names and it's just like, right, they go straight over our heads. But if you were someone in the ancient Near East reading this list, you wouldn't be able to stop until you read certain names. Because you would see certain names and go, whoa, 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 they, they shouldn't be there. There are names here that belong to the enemies of God. The enemies of God, the sons of Ham, include Egyptians, Canaanites, Philistines, Babylonians, and Assyrians. You see, these are nations who will one day attack God and oppress His people. They're peoples who hate God. And yet, God includes them in this list. Even His enemies belong to Him in some way. Even those who hate Him and reject Him, know God includes in His plans and purposes. You know, we might not recognize any name on this list at all, but believe it or not, this list tells your story. See, your name, it might not be written on these pages, but it's the story of our world. The world to which God came down is a world that belongs to Him. Every tribe, every nation, every language, every single person. See, if you're not a Christian and your friend might have dragged you along today and you're sitting here wondering, well, what does God have to do with me? I live my life and don't think about Him. Why does He care about me? Why is He concerned with me? What does He have to do with me? And Genesis 10 simply says, everything, everything. Because whatever your tribe and wherever your home, you belong to Him. And believe it or not, God came down for you. Gosh, you might even reject this God. You might even see Him as the enemy. You might look at Christianity and think it's cruel, bigoted, hateful. Guess what? God still includes you on His list. He still includes you in His every plan. You might hate Him. And yet God came down, even for you. God came to a world that was His, 
But he also came to a world that rejected him. That rejected him. Have you ever seen a movie where the very opening scene is actually the end of the story? And then in the next scene, and for the rest of the movie, the movie then flashes back to an earlier time to show us how we got there. Well, that's what's happening in Genesis 10 and 11. You see, Genesis 10 is actually the end of the story, and now in Genesis 11, what we do is we flash back to an earlier time to see how we got there. How did we get to a point where humanity filled the earth just as God intended it? I think Tim may have read my notes. Well, just like the best of movies, there are four parts. I didn't include that in there. But just like the best of movies, a crisis precedes the climax. Is that right, Tim? The crisis precedes the climax. Look with me, verse 1. We're taken back to a time where the whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. You see, this is a time when, before humanity had filled the earth. It's a time before humanity had spread out just as God intended. They've got their mission, but what do they do? Well, instead of filling the earth with God's life and love, look at what they plan. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and they settled there. You see that one word, settled. If you were here for a sermon a number of months ago, you know how much I hate that word. Instead of spreading out, they settle down. Instead of expanding God's kingdom of love, they build their own fortress of pride. They build a city. They build a tower with its top in the sky, reaching into the heavens. You see, this tower, it stands as a monument to human progress, a marker of human independence. In building this tower, humanity is making a name for itself. When everyone sees this tower, they won't think of God, but they'll think of me. See, in this tower, humanity, we are rejecting the plans and purposes of God. We are defying the mission and mandate of God. We are rebelling against the kingdom of God. In this tower, mankind will define its own destiny, assert its own independence, and chart its own course in the world. It's tragic. The nation should have been united under God, but now they're united in rebellion against Him. Instead of spreading God's life and love in the world for the good of all people, what do we do? We settle down and we build a kingdom of comfort for our own name. Even today, right? People build towers all the time, literal and metaphorical to assert our independence, to prove our progress, to show the new heights that I can reach without God and all by myself. You see, friends, this tower is not just a monument to human progress. It is a monument to human pride. The tower which reaches into the heavens is an assault on the gates of heaven. To put it crudely, this tower is humanity's middle finger to God. It is our concrete way of sticking it to God and saying, we don't need you. Here's what's fascinating though. Most people who would visit this tower, I'm sure it was a tourist attraction of some sort, you could go there, buy a ticket out the front, have a look at this tower, tallest tower in the world, they would look outside and marvel at its glory. 
they wouldn't just look up at it, they would look up to it. If you go to Dubai, you can visit the tallest tower in the world. It's called the Burj Khalifa. 828 metres high. 163 floors, literally reaching into the skies. I haven't been there, but Google Images shows me that it's absolutely astounding. If you visit the Burj, you'll find a plaque on the wall with these words. and You'll see it on the screen. I am the power that lifts the world's head proudly skywards, surpassing limits and expectations. I'm the life force of collective aspirations and the aesthetic union of many cultures. I love that phrase, aesthetic union of many cultures. Whoever wrote this is great. I am the heart of the city and its people, the marker that defines Amar's ambition and Dubai's shining dreams. I am Burj Khalifa. Wow. It's pretty good, isn't it? But it says it all. Might as well say, I am Babylon. You see, this tower, in all its glory, is the marker of human ambition. It is the signpost of our shining dreams. And such is the Tower of Babylon. You see, if you came, you bought that ticket, you looked at it, you would marvel at its glory. You would look up to it and go, wow, I want to build a tower just like that. How can I be like the one who built that tower? But this monument to human progress is actually a symbol of human folly. It's tragically ironic. You see, this tower, it doesn't represent how high humanity can climb. Now it shows how far humanity has fallen. Oh, we've stopped, haven't we? We've stopped multiplying and spreading out over the earth. We've stopped filling this world with the life and love of God. We've stopped looking outwards for the sake of the mission of God. We've stopped living for the very purpose for which God has created us. I said it before, I'll say it again, it's tragically ironic. You know, when we assert our independence from God, when we say, no, I'm going to live my way, I'm going to build my tower, we're actually dehumanizing ourselves. We think we're surpassing our limits, being our best selves, reaching to newer and higher heights. But actually, we're falling deeper and deeper. We're rejecting the very purpose for which we've been made. We're cutting ourselves off from the source of life and love. We're like a cut flower that can survive in shallow water, flourish even, but only for a moment. Now eventually, we will wilt and wither. You know, so many of us embark on building projects of our own, don't we? We work hard. We hustle, we push our limits to assert our independence, to prove our ability, to make a name for ourselves. Oh, if only I succeed, then people will acknowledge me. Or the classic, let me work hard in the short term, so that in the long term I can live a comfortable and secure life. Instead of spreading out and filling this world with the life and love of God, what do we do? We settle down. And we feather our own beds of comfort. 
We build fortresses of career success, family stability, and financial security. And here's the kicker, right? Everyone who comes along, no one will criticize us for it. They'll look at our lives on the outside and go, wow, tell me how to be like you. Married by this age, owning 10 investment properties by that age, making partner by 35, and then, of course, writing a book about it at 40. Please, teach me how to win friends and influence people. I should write that book because it would not succeed. Here's the tragic irony, friends. Just like that tower, our lives might look wonderfully impressive and spectacular on the outside, but on the inside, we're just spiritually self-destructing. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his own soul? Let me ask, what do you look up to? Who do you look up to? The Tower of Babylon? Or the Cross of Christ? Mansions of Comfort? Or the Mission of God? You see, we like to marvel at the stories of human progress. But the Bible actually laments the story of human pride. Our world has rejected the God of love. And yet... For some insane reason, that's the very world into which God comes down. Just stop and think about that for a moment, right? God knows that this world will reject His Son, and yet He comes all the same. Why? Why would God bother with a world that rejects Him? I mean, God will be well within His rights, wouldn't He? Not just to hit the reset button, but to hit the end button. Control, alt, delete, be done with this world for good. And yet, the very fact that God came to a world reject that God came to a world that rejected him shows that God has not given up on this world. Even to us, God has not given up. He came to a world that rejected him because he came to fix our world for good. You know, some words have the power to change human history. When Martin Luther King Jr. spoke the words, I have a dream, he actually made his civil rights dream a reality. When Ronald Reagan, the President of the United States, spoke the words, tear down this wall, he heralded the collapse of the Berlin Wall and the end of the Cold War. Well, in Genesis 11, there are four words. Four words which change the course of history. They're right there in verse 5. The Lord came down. The Lord came down. God came down into a world that was His. He came down into the world that rejected Him. And He came down to fix this world for good. Now, I just love this picture, right? The idea of God coming down on the one hand is remarkably poignant, isn't it? That God could come down and see us and know us. It's just beautiful. And yet at the same time, I just like the almost comic and comedic value of this, right? Because as God comes down, it kind of perfectly depicts God's assessment of our greatest achievements. See, we think that our towers of success are so spectacular. We think that everyone wants to be like us. What does God do? 
has to kind of stoop all the way down just to see, oh, that's where you are. It's a wonderful perspective shift to the person who brags about their ATAR. No one cares. The number of job offers they received, the square meterage of their first home, God has to squint and be like, huh? You mean that tiny thing? So when God comes down and he sees Babylon, what does he see? A futile attempt to rebel against him. Absolutely futile. He sees the nations united by sin. And this is what he concludes. If they could unite and reject me so flagrantly, nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. They'll stop at nothing. Their sin will know no bounds. So what does God do? In verse 7, he comes down. He confuses their language. He demolishes their tower. And he scatters them throughout the earth. Can you see what he's doing? He's, he's thwarting their plans by dividing the nations that were once united by sin. He, he creates different languages to prevent them from ever again uniting in rebellion against him. When God comes down, he comes in judgment. And anyone who rejects his rule and insists on living for themselves will not succeed. It's a sobering message. But do you realize that when God comes down in judgment, He also comes down in remarkable grace. You see, God doesn't scatter humanity because He somehow feels threatened by them. No, not at all. No, He has to stoop down just to see their greatest efforts. No, He scatters humanity to save them from themselves. To save them from their spiritual self-destruction. Just imagine for a moment, right? The nations continue to unite in their rebellion against God. Well, here's the first futile thing. Their tower would never reach God. Keep building. But all the while, they would dehumanize themselves in an act of spiritual self-destruction. They would be like that cut flower. And eventually... The shallow water will run dry and they will spiritually wilt and wither. You see, friends, humanity is hurtling down the highway to hell and the only way that God will save them is if God steps in. It's if God intervenes. It's if God comes down. <laughs> Thankfully, he does. You see, when God came down, he came both in judgment and in grace. He, he judges humanity for rejecting Him. But all the while, He extends grace by saving us from our self-destructing sin. He fixes our will by putting us back on track to live as we were always meant to live. He scatters humanity across the earth so that we might once again fill this world with His life and His love. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that God came down to restore humanity and fix our broken world. They say that watching the news each night is like hearing someone say good evening and then telling you for the next hour why it's not. 
And you might watch the nightly news I've stopped um, and see all the brokenness, all the hurt, and all the pain. You might see the division that rips nations and peoples apart, the fear and the hatred that tears our world apart. Gosh, you might even look at your own life and think, when will someone, anyone, come and fix this? You see, more than anything else, you just, you just long for someone to fix this broken world, to heal the divisions, to bring about true and lasting peace. You might not be a Christian, or you might be, but if you long for someone to fix this broken world, and not just temporarily, but to fix this world for good, can I say, Christmas is the answer to your deepest longing. Because in Jesus, God once again came down. He broke into history. He intervened into our story. He changed our destiny forever. But this time, I want you to notice three key differences. There's three differences about God coming in Jesus from God coming in Genesis. Firstly, God doesn't just come down. No, He comes all the way down. He comes down as one of us. He sets aside His divine rights. He's born as a weak and frail man. Just contrast that for a moment, right? There's the pride of Babylon which reaches into heaven to challenge God Almighty. But here, in this lowly child, God Almighty comes all the way down. He condescends to earth and He comes as one of us. Secondly, God yet again comes down in judgment and grace. But this time, He gives us grace by bearing our judgment. He gives us grace by bearing our judgment. You see, God comes as one of us so that He might be judged as one of us. So hear this. The judgment that Babylon received and the judgment that we deserved is the judgment that Jesus bore. Jesus came down to give us grace by bearing our judgment. Thirdly and finally, oh God once again comes down to fix our world, but this time He fixes it for good. You see, at Babylon, He fixed our world by thwarting our plans. But still, what was the problem that we saw last week and the week before? Every inclination of the human mind was evil all the time. The heart of the problem is the problem of our hearts. But in Jesus, God comes down to fix our world from the inside out. God fixes our world not by thwarting the work of our hands or by changing the schemes of our minds. No, He fixes this world by transforming the affections of our hearts. That is the only way our world can be fixed for good. And in Jesus, that is exactly what God does. He comes down as one of us to bear our judgment, to transform our hearts, to fix our world once and for all. 
Now, if you can do that, if you can do all that, I will organise the worldwide biggest birthday party all for you. But my guess is you didn't. And neither did I. Jesus really did all that. And I'll tell you what, I'll gladly celebrate his birthday, not just every year, but every single day. If Christmas is the day that God came down to fix our broken world for good, my gosh, how could the whole world not stop to celebrate? Let me close with a word to the non-Christian and a word to those of us who follow Jesus. If you're not a Christian, I hope you can see why Jesus matters. I hope you can see that Jesus is no ordinary man. He is the perfect God-man who came all the way down to save you and to fix our world forever. Please, don't reject this God. Don't be like the people of Babylon who built towers to assert their own independence. Come to this God. Humble yourself under Him. And live your life just as He intended it. Live with Jesus as your King. And for those of us who already follow Jesus, beware. Beware the folly of Babylon. May we live just as God saved us to live. Scattered, sent, and spread out to proclaim the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth. We planted this church two years ago. And I said this before, but I love telling this story. I remember in our first meeting in my parents' house, I sat down with a group of 15 people or so, and I said, in five years' time, I can't wait for some of you to leave our church. And it was our first week. And the reason was not to go to that other place or go to that church. No, the reason is I want you guys to go on mission. Get out. Not now. But like, leave. Take the gospel elsewhere. Do something crazy for the gospel. Don't settle down. Scatter out. Spread out. Do some damage for Jesus in this world. Friends, this world and every tribe and every language belong to God. And Jesus came to save people out of every tribe and nation. And he calls all of us, not just some of us, not just me, not just some of the leaders here, absolutely every one of us, to go to the ends of the earth, to unite his people, not under sin, but to unite his people under his Son. And that's why over the next five years, our church, we want to prepare to plant another church. I hope we can do it. That might terrify some of you, right? But I hope, I hope that over the next five years we can at least prepare and pray that under God we might plant another church to reach new tribes with the gospel of Christ. Because God commands us to spread out, to advance his gospel. So please, literally, for the love of God, don't settle down. Don't build towers of security and success. Spread out. Fill this earth with God's life and love. Don't live to make a name for yourself. Live to make a name for Jesus. Join the mission of God as we reach our world to know, love and live for Jesus. As we look to 2021 and the hope of better years to come, join us as we preach and pray so that we might see every tribe worship Christ as King. Let me pray. God, you came down in judgment and grace to save people from every tribe and nation. So open our eyes.
that we might see the glories of your gospel, that we might see that the harvest is white and we might join your mission in the world. For Jesus' sake, amen.